0: We are in Advent season, and what I wanted just to start out real quickly is just to toss out to you and encourage you to use this time in eager anticipation of our coming Messiah. You know, just, just remembering what Israel was waiting for, and, and just to use this as a time to celebrate. First of all, there's plenty of Advent and Christmas plans if you use the Bible app or if you go to Bible.com. And you just click on the Discover section. There's lots of different plans in there that you can take a look at, that you can have like daily readings or weekly readings or something like that. Second, I'm going through this book right now, The Dawning of Indestructible Joy uh, by John Piper. And it's got daily readings to just prepare your heart for Christmas and everything that's coming up. The third one that we're going through as a family, it's called Truth in the Tinsel. And it's a great family resource. We're doing it with our kids, and each day they get to color in this little ornament, and there's a reading of of Scripture, and it's all just building into the Christmas story. Yesterday we read about Zachariah. Today we're going to read about the angel Gabriel, which my son Gabriel is very excited about. But each day has a theme. It has a little craft. So really cool, fun resources there for you. We just sang a great song. Celebrating our King who is willing to come to this earth and be with us. And I wanted to point out one of the lines. It said, How many gods have poured out their hearts to romance a world that is torn all apart? I just wanted to to pause and reflect on that a little bit. Our world is torn apart, isn't it? There's this feature on Facebook where you can report yourself safe in lieu of some disaster or some awful thing that's happening in your area to let other people know that you're okay. And this week, three different occurrences arose where I had friends of mine saying, don't worry, I'm safe. I'm safe. I'm safe. Three different things. Uh, The the shooting out, or the the massacre out in Columbus, uh, the wildfires in Denver, and then the fire in Oakland just yesterday. Uh, Our world is falling apart. And our passage is going to speak even more to our torn apart world. But isn't it beautiful that God's heart is for us? How many kings have poured out their hearts to romance this awful world? I was uh, at a memorial service yesterday for a friend of mine that passed away unexpectedly. And we sang the song, It Is Well. And verse 2, I I heard in, in a new light, especially just in thinking about this passage and thinking about this world. It says, Though Satan should buffet, the trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. Don't we have an amazing God? So I just wanted to start this morning and just reflect on that. Let me just take a moment and pray. You've romanced a world that is torn apart, romanced, wooed, pursued, desired, run after. How, how can I do anything but just be in awe? How can I do anything but worship? How can I do anything but fall on my knees and say, Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I'm just blown away by the fact that you would save me. I'm not worth saving. But you saved me. And Lord, for that, I'm just ah, so thankful. You're a good God, and um, we just want to sit at your feet this morning. Amen. Now, we needed to start there, because it's going to get worse. <laughs> we don't have a happy passage today, uh, or even for the next few months, uh, but in these words of harsh reality, there is a passionate, loving God. And we will see that even in our passage today. We're in uh, week four of our Romans series called Colossal Truth. And after two weeks of introduction and last week looking at Paul's thesis for the book, we are diving deep into section one of Romans. Ruin. We're going to be looking at this topic for the next couple of months. Paul is using this section of the book to make his readers aware of their need for redemption. Their need for redemption. Let's talk about broccoli. I promise this makes sense. Kids, um, broccoli is good for you. Right? Yeah. It's, it's healthy. It, it doesn't always taste the best, you know, but it'll help you grow. I've, I've got some up here. Uh, it's raw, not cooked. I don't have any dip or anything to make it go down a little easier, but, but you can come and get a piece if you like. There's, there's broccoli right here. Any, any takers? Oh, there's a couple takers. All right. Yeah. Come and have a piece of broccoli. Yeah, R2. There you go. Yeah, go for it. Oh, someone took some candy too. I like that. Oh, Look at that, look at all these people taking broccoli. Hey, there's more, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm impressed. (laughs) Uh huh, yeah. Yeah. Now, what if I told you, what if I told you that you needed this broccoli? What if I told you that if you didn't eat a piece of this broccoli in the next ten minutes, you were going to die? How many would come up and get a piece of the broccoli? Anyone want to change their minds now? (laughs) No, it's just not worth it. (laughs) Now, it's not really fair to compare broccoli to the gospel. But once someone understands their need. They do everything they can to fill that need. Everything they can to fill that need. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells uh, two short parables with the same idea. He says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, when you know your need, everything changes. You run after that. You pursue it. And so in the next few months, as we're diving into this new section in the book of Romans, we're going to dive into... Paul trying to explain your need for God's grace. E.F. Harrison said this. He said, Until men are persuaded of their lost condition, they are not likely to be concerned about deliverance. So just have this in your mind today and over the next couple of months as we dive into this section of Romans. Uh, This morning... Our title is, Yep, We Blew It. Let me just explain uh, where this picture comes from. Like Dave said, a month ago we celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And we've got a beautiful picture of the church, and everyone's there looking and and smiling, except for these two small boys right down there. And one of them would be my son, Gabriel. (laughs) But, yeah, so that's that's where that comes from. But I just loved the image of it. Yeah, we, we blew it. When I was in high school, there was this girl that I liked and I really wanted her to trust me and to open up. And after months of building into our friendship, she she finally I, I remember this conversation very well, she finally started opening up to me and just kind of sharing like, hey, this is where I'm at, this is what's going on, and, and, and really just kinda, you know, put herself out there in a sense. And I was so excited. Wow, like, she finally opened up. She finally started sharing with me. And the first thing I did was I ran and I told my friend, hey, she, she finally started opening up to me and, and, and sharing with me. And here's everything that she said. Yep, I, I blew it. But hey, it worked out great. I, I didn't marry her. I married someone better than that. Uh, <laughs> so, uh... Yeah. We have all blown it, haven't we? Let's take a look at our passage in that lightened mindset. Open up to Romans chapter 1. And we're looking at Romans 1, verses 18 to 23 this morning. I told you it wasn't getting better. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is a message for all of us. This passage is speaking in regards to all people. One thing I did as I was reading through this passage and studying it. And one thing I put in the uh, community group questions, by the way, you've got a little insert in there, uh, space to just write. Uh, in the bulletin there's a dot to dot, so whether you're young or young at heart, go ahead and have fun with that. But one thing I did as I was reading through and one of the community group questions speaks to is, as I read through, I replaced the, the they's and the them's with I and me. So as we're going through, as we talk about they, think me. We're going to take a little time unpacking this passage, uh, looking at three different topics brought up. Uh, And the first is in uh, verse 18. Wrath. When we think of wrath, we often think of something like this. Lightning. uh, Anger. But the problem is that this can easily give a skewed uh, perspective of God. First of all, that, that's not what Paul was going after when he used this word, and we'll get into that in just a second. But also, we've, we've got this different idea of anger. Because what we're used to is we're used to human anger, which is sinful, uh, which is earthly, which can often be devoid of love. And, and so it's easy for us to, to look at this and just think, anger, and then get this weird perspective on God and who he is. But rather, what Paul is speaking to is punishment. When he says wrath, when he uses this Greek word, orge, every single time in Romans, he's he's using the sense of punishment and not anger. Uh contrasting this with uh, James 1, verses 19 to 20, where this same word is used, the same Greek word, when it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Same Greek word, but it's used in a totally different sense, based on the context, based on everything else that's going on. So here, it's not being used in this idea of anger, but rather in this idea of punishment. So when you're thinking wrath, think punishment. And this is brought on by our own doing. This wrath is brought on by our own doing. It says in verse 18, it's uh, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And then it says, of met. Again, this is for everyone. And we see this through the rest of the passage that, that this wrath, this punishment is brought on by what we've done. Verse 18, it says, by their unrighteousness. Verse 20, it says, they are without excuse. Verse 21, they did not honor him. Verse 22, they became fools. Verse 23, they exchanged this happens with my own kids when i punish them they they get upset and i ask them like why why are you upset because because you're punishing me and i remind them you know what if you hadn't done this if you hadn't hit your brother if you hadn't you know, thrown that when you weren't supposed to. If you hadn't disobeyed mom, if you hadn't lied, I wouldn't be punishing you. If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't have punished. Every now and then I stop to think about the question, what if what if Adam and Eve hadn't blown it? Right? What if, what if they hadn't? Well, first of all, I'm sure someone else would, probably would have stepped in and said, I'll, I'll take care of that. Right? And if not one of them, right? I, I'm sure I would have taken care of that myself. Yeah, sure, everyone else has been perfect up until now, but yeah, I'll take care of that. I'll mess it up for everybody else. But if they hadn't, and before they had, there was a world that was devoid of the wrath of God. Because it was never necessary. I came across this quote by F.F. Bruce. He says, God's wrath is the response of His holiness to wickedness and rebellion. So when it's talking about wrath, it's talking about punishment. Punishment. It says, uh, the wrath of God is revealed. Now, this is in contrast to uh, righteousness from verse 17. So, in verse 17, it says, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. And then, here in verse 18, it says, the wrath of God is revealed. Paul's making a a connection, a compare and contrast between the two. And in, in both, there's a sense of both right now and future. It's being revealed right now, and it will be revealed in the future. Righteousness. Righteousness is being revealed right now in getting to have a relationship with God, getting to be able to walk with Him, getting the opportunity to live with Him. But then righteousness is revealed in the future By his glory, his future glory. But then wrath as well is being revealed right now, but it's also being revealed in the future. Sure, it'll be revealed in the future in in the final judgment, in the final punishment. But also it's being revealed right now in earthly consequences. In In what we talked about in this world that is torn all apart. Part of that is the consequences, part of that is the punishment, part of that is the wrath of God that is being revealed against our unrighteousness, our ungodliness. As we've been going through this series, we've been looking at what do we do and what does God do? in in each of these passages, to have some things to walk away with, some tangibles. So instead of giving you all three at the end, I'm going to give them to you as we go. So with this concept of wrath, with this idea of wrath, what do we do? Well, we accept God's discipline. That's what we need to be doing. We need to accept God's discipline. And then what does God do? God delivers loving wrath. In your community group questions, I, I point you to a passage in Hebrews, but part of that passage quotes Proverbs 3, 11 to 12, which says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves, as a father, the son, in whom he delights. He disciplines us. His wrath is being revealed against us. So that's God's wrath. Next, I want to talk about this concept of plain. In verses 19 to 20, it says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I can't help but see God in creation. I'm going to show you some pictures that I've taken uh, throughout my travels that I just feel like point out God. Uh, this is a picture. Let me give you just the whole thing. This is a picture of Hume Lake, uh, one of my favorite places to go. Just absolutely stunningly gorgeous. And I see God's artistry every time I'm there. This is an unnamed lake in Lassen Volcanic National Park that my brother-in-law backpacked out to. Just incredible. Or this waterfall in uh, western Washington, Snoqualmie Falls. That's that's a light fall, and uh, when the snow melts, it's just pouring over. But it's just gorgeous. I can't help but, but seeing God in it in, in in a butterfly, and a bee on a clover. Just the intricacy of those animals, the intricacy of the flower, the creativity of God. Or two of my favorite places on this earth, the Grand Canyon. Just took my family there uh, last summer, and man, just amazing to be back there. And Yosemite. Yosemite one of my favorite places on earth. See, as we look at these, God intended us to marvel in the same way one would marvel at a Rembrandt or or a Da Vinci instead of at a happenstance rock pile. Oh, isn't that cool how those kind of randomly stacked up by themselves? No. Look at the artistry. Look at the majesty that's there. But see, it's, it's not just about going and, and, and marveling. Wow, isn't that amazing? But rather, there's a next step. And that's perception. Look at verse 20. It says, His invisible attributes have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So it's not just seen, but perceived. See, as you look, you're supposed to... Start thinking, someone must have created all of this. Someone must have put this all together. And that's where we see his eternal power and divine nature. Eternal power. The one who created all of this must have power beyond anything in this world. You should be able to see that as you, as you look at these places, as you're outside and looking around. The one who created must have incredible power and His divine nature. The one who created must be greater than anything in this world and worthy of worship. So when it says we have no excuse, we have no excuse but to know these things. We should know that there is a Creator that is powerful beyond anything else has eternal power and a divine nature. He's above anything earthly. So what do we do? What do we do? See God in creation and point Him out to others. This is, this is a great assignment. A great assignment. I'm telling you to go outside. I'm telling you to to, to go walk around, to, to go and, and, and take a hike or... Or to explore, uh, whatever it may be. What did you learn in church today? Oh, the pastor said to go take a hike. <laughs> Not in that way. Uh, <laughs> but go out and explore. Marvel at creation. Marvel at your Creator. We see God in creation and point Him out to others. And what does God do? God makes Himself... Plainly known. Plainly known. Psalm 19, 1-2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. God is plainly seen in the creation of of the world. Oh, boy. Last thing I want to talk about is fools. Verses 21 to 23. It says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. It starts off by saying that they knew God. They knew his eternal power. They knew his divine nature. They knew that there was someone greater than them. But they didn't honor or give thanks to him. They didn't honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. They didn't put Him in the place that He deserved. And and when they didn't put Him in that place, then someone or something else needed to take that place. Someone or something else. It's, it's in our nature to worship. And so when we're not worshiping our Creator... Our focus shifts to worshiping something or someone else. And so, their their futile thinking, their their darkened hearts were the result of the pursuit for whatever would take that place. we got to find something, someone to fill that. As I was uh, going through my Advent reading, I, I came across this verse. John 5.44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? See, it's so easy for us to replace where that worship should be going with something else. They didn't honor God or give thanks to Him. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sometimes it's, it's truly a joy to have a three-year-old daughter who thinks that she knows everything. Uh, it really is. We were playing, uh, this, this little fish game, you know, where it goes around and mouths open, you got the little thing that, you know, the little fishing pole and pull them out and, um, so, so we pulled it out and I was trying to, to help her, because she was having trouble with it. I said, Ava, let, let me help you with this. No, Daddy, I do it. And and she's still fumbling and struggling, and no, no, let, let Daddy show you. No, Daddy, I do it. And and this conversation went back and forth with, with no progression for a few minutes. And uh, finally, I was like, okay. So I just sat, and, <laughs> and I watched, and she's stopping the thing from turning with her hand, and she's pulling them out with her fingers, and well, I guess that works, you know, but, uh, <laughs> you know, she's, yeah, I'm just, I'm just watching and marveling and, and, and just kind of sitting there going, you know, if you just asked, I, I could help. I could really, like, help you out, help you understand this, help you learn this, you know. But she didn't. And in fact, when I pursued and said, here, let me give this to you, let me help you. No, 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 I do it. You see us in here? See, they leaned on their own wisdom with a loving father watching, just aching to help. And when it says, they became fools, they didn't become fools because they didn't know. They became fools because they were foolishly adamant. No, I do. And God's reaching out. Let me help you. Let me show you who I am. Let me, let me help you understand this. No, no, no. I got this. Kind of look like monkeys. Maybe it came from them. I got this. I'll, I'll figure it out. I got this, God. They became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing and resembling. Now, in verse 23, Paul's referencing two different Old Testament accounts. First of all, this is almost a direct quote of Psalm 106, verse 20, where it says, They exchange the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. So this is talking about the golden calf that people made because they were too impatient for Moses to get back from his talk with God. And so in bringing this up, Paul is reminding his readers of a time many would have known about and looked back on with shame. Hey, look, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for these images. Remember when you guys did that? Remember when our ancestors did that? That was a shameful time. You're doing it right now. But the second reference that, that Paul is making is back to, to Genesis chapter 1. Oh yeah, I had some cool slides for this. There you go. There's Psalm 106.20. Um, but Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, how is Paul referencing this? Well, look at what it says here in Genesis 1.26 while I read Romans 1.23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man, having dominion, and birds and animals, and creeping things. This wasn't just happenstance that the order was the same, but Paul was intentionally referencing a passage that they knew. They knew well. See, some commentators like to, to get in and to analyze this list even more, maybe looking at, Oh, these are, these are in a, a descending order from greatest to least, or, you know, let's, let's talk about each one and break it down. But I see it more simply. They blew it. God made man and gave them dominion, and instead of worshiping God and taking charge, they turned from Him and worshiped other things, worshiped others and things and animals. Everything got flipped upside down instead of being in charge of all of them and ruling over them like they were supposed to, now they're worshiping them. And the worship is going down instead of up. Now, like I said at the beginning of this, um, this, this passage is for you. And it's for me. Because it's about you and it's about me see, we're still in this. Far be it from any of us to, to look at this passage, they go, shame on them. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God. They did this. They became fools. Their unrighteousness suppressed the truth. Shame on them. No, no, no. See, I've contributed to this. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. I've contributed to that. I've been ungodly. I've been unrighteousness. I've been unrighteous. I've suppressed the truth. I don't honor God. I don't give thanks to Him. Claiming to be wise, I became a fool. And Christian, don't you dare disqualify yourself. I continue to discover how much of a fool I actually am. See, the more I think I understand God, the more I realize how little I know. So this is an ongoing thing. When it says that they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images. Boy, this humbles me every time I read it. There was a reason I had this candy up here. You know, and sure, like, we're not comparing broccoli to the glory of the immortal God by any stretch of the imagination. But don't we get distracted away from the things that we need to the things that that look enticing? The things that we think we need, the things that we want, the things that we desire. So ask yourself this question What am I letting in to replace God? To rule instead of Him? My stuff? My smartphone? My hobbies, my work, my kids, my marriage. These are all good things, but only when they're in the proper place. It is so easy to let these things creep in and take a higher priority than God. That is why it grieves me to hear someone say, I don't have time for a quiet time with God. I don't have time to read my Bible. Um, You don't have time to sit before the glory of the immortal God who created everything, who gives you life and breath and purpose and hope. What's taking priority over Him? But I do this too. I get going in my day. I wake up. I get ready. I take the kids to school. I sit down at my desk. I work. I come home. I review the day. Hang out with Laura. Go to bed. And I do it all again the next day. And oops. Somehow I forgot to get God in there. But Ben, you're, you're a pastor. Like that's like sewn into everything that you do, right? (laughs) No. I'm wanting to be real with you guys. Authentic. That I see myself in this passage. I'm the fool. Claiming to be wise, I became a fool and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. I've done that. I still can find myself doing that. Our last, what do we do and what does God do? What do we do? We humble ourselves before God while earnestly seeking Him. And what does God do? He gives more grace. Let me read um, in James chapter 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? but He gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. I do not take my wretched state seriously enough. I don't take my sin seriously enough. I need passages like this in Romans to remind me where I am to remind me where I belong. Yep. We blew it. So do we wallow in our misery? Woe is me! I had the glory of the immortal God and I exchanged it for other things. No. Look again at this list. What do we do? We accept God's discipline as He guides and directs us and points us in the way that we need to go. We see Him in creation and point Him out to others. We humble ourselves before God while earnestly seeking Him. And Look at what God does. He delivers loving wrath. He makes Himself plainly known. And He gives more grace. Remember, we're diving into this chunk of scripture to remind us of our need for God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing a song confessing our need for God. So I encourage you to make it a prayer. God, I need you. Far be it from me to rest on my own laurels, to rest on my own wisdom, my own direction. Because Lord, I... I'm a fool. God, don't ever let me forget... how foolish I am on my own and who you are and what you've made me to be. God, I desperately, desperately need you. Thank you for reminding me of that today. Amen. I wanted to start this morning with an apology here at nbc uh we hold the bible as our sole authority we take second 2 timothy 2:15 2. seriously which says do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed rightly handling the word of truth and as a leadership team and as believers we work hard to rightly handle god's word but we're humans which means we make mistakes it's important, though, for us to let others know when it's not handled correctly. So I wanted to go back and briefly address a sermon I preached a month ago on Romans one 18 to 18-23. Um, in that sermon, I used interchangeably two biblical concepts that were very different. God's wrath and his discipline. I made it seem like believers are still subject to the wrath of God, which is entirely contrary to Scripture. Uh, There are many passages that make this clear, but let me just read one for you now, which we're going to get to uh, in a couple of months, in Romans 5. It says, For while we were still weak, at at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now listen to this next verse, verse 9. See, God's wrath is reserved for those who have rejected God. And as made clear in Romans 5 and elsewhere in Scripture, believers are no longer subject to the wrath of God. This is the power of the cross. This is what Jesus did for you and for me. Without the blood of Jesus, you and I are guaranteed recipients of the wrath of God. The righteous punishment we deserve because we have not upheld God's law. And we never would be able to do so. But Christ's sacrifice changed all of that. He took the wrath of God on himself so that we could be not under the law, but under grace. So when we look at Romans 1, 18-23, we shouldn't look with fear or dread, saying, uh-oh, this is what I'm in for. Rather, we should look with joy, celebrating that this is what Jesus' blood has saved us from. And as 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So I apologize for confusing two very clearly different concepts in Scripture, and I ask for your forgiveness. I'm thankful to those that came to me and pointed out my error, and uh, both Dave and I say often from the front, check what we say against Scripture. We say this because the charge to rightly handle the word of truth is not just for us as pastors, but for all believers. And we are humans. And we err and we make mistakes. So we're thankful that we have a church body that's carefully listening and checking what we say against scripture. And we ask that you guys continue to do so.